the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome into the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management, and we thank you for your time. We look forward to spending the next hour with you to help you arrive at financial independence. That is ultimately what retirement is about. You transition out of full-time positions in the workforce. Maybe you stay in. Who knows? But you'd like to get to be financially independent. That's what they specialize in at Aptus Wealth Management, taking your investments and getting you to a point where you can relax a little bit and make sure that you have everything taken care of. They're located in Lewis Center. That's just off Route 750, and you can set up a free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team. Make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com, or you can make your appointment on the phone. Their office number is 614-917-1040. And Josh, as we sit down to talk, we've got brinksmanship, I guess some would say, when it comes to raising the debt ceiling. There's an agreement in the House of Representatives Republicans got that through. The Senate says they're not going to look at that. Joe Biden, the president, says, nope, don't want to adopt some of the provisions that the House Republicans passed, which is like dialing spending all the way back to, what, two years ago, and invoking some work requirements for entitlements. So what we're concerned about is what could this do to the U.S. financial markets and things like that? And there are all kinds of projections out there, but I'll hit you with a quote. From Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, she said uh, defaulting on the debt, not coming to an agreement, in other words, would wipe out years of returns and other household savings, years of retirement and other household savings. And if that sounds catastrophic, it's because it is. So she's playing right into the uh, alarmist uh, language out there. Yeah, I mean, no shocker that we're sitting here with Democrats and Republicans arguing over a bill. I mean, that's pretty, pretty standard. Uh, But unfortunately, the headlines are reading much like Janet Yellen's comments that if we don't do something drastic for this particular anomaly that Mm -hmm. we're encountering right now, then Armageddon is surely around the corner. When let's give some context to the story. Uh, One, the debt ceiling being raised is nothing new. Since 1965, we've raised the debt ceiling approximately 80 times, which means we raise the debt ceiling about once every year and a quarter or so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So why we're saying this one is the, you know, mountain we might not be able to climb, we seem to be able to climb that mountain over and over and over again. And I don't think 
you know, if you listen to all the political pundits, nobody really believes that we're not going to get past this one either. It's just a matter of this tussling match and will there be a governmental shutdown. But the fear that that's instilling in people is quite overwhelming. Um, And it's because we're seeing news articles. I'll give you one, for example, I saw one on CNN that a client sent to me, very concerned. And then I heard it echoed by another five or six clients that there's a possibility, I think it was a CNN article, possibility that social security payments will cease and stop if we pause the government. Well, that wouldn't cause a panic at all. Well, let's put that into context. (laughs) So, you know, there's approximately 65 million people collecting social security right now. And roughly 40% of those people rely on 90 plus percent of their income from Mm -hmm. social security. So that would, what is that? Roughly 30 million people would be who live not just paycheck to paycheck, but probably week to week would now be impoverished. Yeah, that's terrible. So clearly we can't let that happen. But where's the historical, uh, you know, reference point that says we've ever done that before? We've never stopped social security payments. And then fast forward to today and we direct deposit social security payments. So even if no one's there, computers continue to work, checks continue to go out. This level of fear mongering is really getting annoying quite frankly. And I think it's, you know, it's not doing us any favors. It's just a political uh, tool that they're using to get their point across that this one's very urgent. Yeah. And we've talked before about fear and doing things out of fear and it's rarely, if ever a good decision. And so obviously there are a lot of different ways to present the arguments around this issue. No surprise, uh, whatever a person's political persuasion or approach is, they're going to present it in a way that advantages them. Uh, as you assess markets, and maybe as you look at what markets have done over the last couple months, I mean, we talk about volatility all the time, but it doesn't strike me that the S&P 500 has really fluctuated a ton over recent months. And we've been talking a lot about, oh, the debt ceiling thing is coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I don't know, maybe if uh, maybe I missed it, but has it been super volatile here lately? Uh, last year was certainly a volatile year, but this year we're up for the year, aren't we? This year we're yeah. up, uh, but I would say volatility has been quite significant. For example, you know, if you look at the first couple of months of the year, market did very, very well. Yep. Uh, it was up about, and, and don't quote me on this, but I believe about seven, seven and a half percent. Then that seven and a half percent was clawed back to turn around and reverse and go up about eight or nine percent. And then we've clawed some of that back to end up, you know, kind of back to a reasonable gain. But I think what really has people f- fear or fearing the mm-hmm. future is, again, the headlines. Uh, we're not looking at, you'll never see in the headlines any sort of economic data that, ports, that points towards companies' profitability. This company showed above average returns, market goes up, but let's not forget that the dollar is going to collapse. <laughs> let's, let's just juxtapose that with terror. And uh, good news, uh, we have a new infrastructure bill where we're going to start spending a bunch of money there. But also remember that you're probably going to lose out on all your Social Security payments because we can't agree on a debt ceiling. It's always this yin and yang, good and bad. Uh, The one thing that I will say, if we cannot come to an agreement on the debt ceiling within a reasonable amount of time by the deadline, and we do go into a governmental shutdown, history would say that that will have a significant short-term impact on the stock market. What would significant mean? And I don't mean to raise alarm bells, mm-hmm. but historically speaking, it would not shock me a bit if we had a thousand or two thousand point drop if we shut down the government for a month. Now, history also shows us that as soon as the government opens back up, that rally is pretty darn quick. So, you know, no harm, no foul. But I think that 
if you take a, a, a populace who's already terrified about a lot of things and then throw a 2,000-point drop into their market performance, that could create a house of cards that we don't want to see. So I was looking at the USA Today story that's out today, and you know they have the uh, ever-upward-moving national debt clock on their story, and they have the countdown to potential breach of debt ceiling clock on their site. So they're trying to get people in the spirit of giving this a lot of attention. And they hearken back to 2011 when uh, we had the last, I guess, something, and it caused uh, a downgrade in the U.S. long-term credit rating. Uh, So I'm wondering, like I looked at the market at the S&P 500 drop from, is this right, 1250? Is that what it would have been then? 1250 to to, to, uh, 1200. So it dropped a little bit. And uh, but it regained all of its losses within three weeks. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me like while we can zero in, focus on catastrophe from day to day, in a relatively short period of time, things get back to where they were. Yeah, exactly right. And w- why was it downgraded? Well, it stands to reason. Why was the U.S. Uh, creditor position downgraded? Well, we're a debtor. We're a debtor nation, which means that we issue a lot of bonds. We're deficit spending, which means we send out a bunch of IOUs. Mm-hmm. And if those IOUs are contingent upon being paid by p- having people in seats to actually pay them, and then we say nobody's going to show up to the seats, well, then if you were the one holding the IOUs, you might go, I don't know if I trust these people anymore because they're short on their payments. But the second that everybody gets back in the seats and they send us all of our money plus interest plus all the money that they owed us before. And then they stay consistent for a while. You go, okay, well, you know, blipping the radar, no big deal. It's no different than our credit. We can make errors, and then over time we correct the errors. I, I think, you know, all of the, the huge concern and the huge pressure is people are very concerned, uh, myself included, about consistent deficit spending, no correct course correction. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this isn't working. We're blowing a bunch of money that doesn't seem to be moving the needle in the positive direction. And the only solution would be send more good money in after bad that we don't have, and at what point do we have to pay the piper? At what point do we have to pay the debt? And at some point, are we on such matchstick wooden legs that something could affect us so negatively that we don't have forewarning? That's what we're all scared about is the monster under the bed, right? Yep. Is what happens if we're not paying attention one day and our money goes down by 50%. The dollar collapses. We're now a third world country, essentially. And while anything is possible... There is no historical reference to our economy for not being able to pull levers to limit and adjust and pivot off of that. Now, is it possible to say 50 or 100 years from now we could lose our place? Of course. Is that going to happen in the next 12 months? Um, Not even terrible leadership can make that happen. He's Josh Pick. I'm Bruce Hooley. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show, and we will replay the show tomorrow at noon. Friday night at 7 is the original air date. Saturday at noon, catch us on Money Monday on 98.9 The Answer. Every Monday at 1230, we talk about the latest uh, headlines and how they are affecting the market. The Aptus team offers you a free consultation to get in and discuss these concepts, what it means to your retirement savings and building wealth and hopefully financial independence. You can reach Aptus online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You can call them and set up your appointment. Their number is 614-917-1040. And I'm looking at a story here that says in May, the four-week Treasury bill interest rate spiked to a record high because the debt stealing, debt ceiling talks stalled. So I guess my question is, is what benefits or what 
how why do, is it possible that some things do well when there's this uncertainty, this brinksmanship, this volatility, uh, this unknown about the debt ceiling? There is, and, and it's kind of a perfect storm in the fixed income category of the market. So you have stocks and then you have bonds. And bonds is just like stocks. You can imagine you have large companies, international companies, small companies, and the list goes on. Well, similarly in bonds, you have treasuries, you know, good credit quality bonds, short-term bonds, long-term bonds, et cetera. And not all of those bonds are going to react the same in periods of uncertainty and in periods of rising interest rates. And it just so happens that we have a lot of both of those. So there are avenues to invest in certain durations and in certain types of bonds where you can hedge your positions against risk and also set yourself up for a potential back-end profit. And I'll tell you what I mean off of that. Okay. You make money off of bonds in two ways. Way number one is they pay you interest because all a bond is is an IOU. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coca-Cola or the United States government needs to borrow money. They don't want to go to the banks. They go to Bruce and Josh and say, sure. give me some of your money. We'll pay you an interest rate. And then at some future date, we'll give you your money back. Well, if I bought a bond that was paying 5% interest and now new issue bonds are paying 6% in interest and I want to sell mine before it comes due, I'm probably not going to get what I put into it because people can get a higher rate. It's akin to saying uh, I can build my own brand new house exactly the way I want it, cheaper than I can buy yours. Why would I buy yours, right? Got it. Similarly, the reverse can happen. So if we get into a scenario where the debt ceiling is delayed, it hurts the economy, and now the Fed decides the way that we can spur the economy is by lowering interest rates temporarily, well, that has a positive impact on the value of bonds. Now, if we're in the right maturity range, we might be able to make hay on not only these high interest rates that we're seeing, but also on that premium down the line. Now, there's also some landmines that you can step on playing that game, particularly if you're buying bond funds and you have no control over the issue. So it's important that you know what you're doing. I'm not giving you a recommendation to go out and start buying short-term treasuries unless you have a good handle on how to play that game. But it's, it's an area where I think people can make some money. So is this a indicative of that inverted yield curve that we've talked a lot about and that that, that is not good when you have a situation where we have – higher returns on shorter-term duration investments. Those are the things that, if I'm correct, those are the things that kind of played into our recent uh, spate of bank failures, is it not? Absolutely. And there's, to my knowledge at least, there's never been a time in history where we had an inverted yield curve and it didn't negatively affect the market. And we saw that last year, obviously. Mm -hmm. As soon as interest rates started to being risen and the yield curve went negative, uh, fourth quarter last year wasn't the best quarter we've ever had in our lives. It was a pretty tumultuous year and carry forward that to this year, and you're seeing the impact that it's have on, had on volatility. You're absolutely right. The, what we want in this country is people buying homes, because people who buy homes tend to take care of them and live there for a long period of time, and mm-hmm. solidarity is good. We want people to invest their money for the long run, because the less inflows and outflows that come out creates less volatility, more predictability, more safety, more stability. So that's good. But the second you say... The market is so uncertain about our future that we are unwilling to guarantee you a rate of return over the long run because we don't know what the heck the long run looks like. So we'll pay you more for going short. That's not a good thing overall. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, like you mentioned, people buying homes. Uh, when you buy a home, and that, like, that's a long-term investment. As you say, you're going to be mm-hmm. there a while. You take out a 30-year loan on it. And the reason why you're comfortable doing that is because you have a reasonable expectation of what those next at least five to 10 years are going to look like. And the 
opposite of that is volatility. Volatilities to me suggest fluctuations and changes, and I don't know what's coming. And so when we get into a situation where what used to be something we could count on, the longer I give you my money, the more return I get. Whoops, now that's flipped all the way around where the shorter I give you my money, the more return I get. I mean, that is, the that is to me, is the absolute epitome of volatility, of uncertainty, of instability. And uh, I don't know if this is why uh, the explanation behind this next headline, but we've talked about the amount of money we owe as a country. Total household debt, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, total household debt has reached more than $17 trillion in the first quarter of the year. So not just do we have amazing debt as a nation, we have amazing debt as individuals. And to me, that speaks from getting away from what over time has been a sound financial principle. Uh, I get a job, I keep a job, I I make a decent salary, I provide, I invested in things that are solid, stable, long-term. I mean, this degree of volatility nationally, this degree of volatility individually, uh, that's not to me uh, a recipe for success as a country or as somebody who's hoping to get to where we talk about all the time, financial independence later on in life. Well, yeah, and I think it points towards making irrational short-term decisions. And it reminds me of a, I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a, it's a, I hate to say this, but it's not the most exciting book, but there's a book called The EQ, right? The emotional quotient and what makes mm-hmm. people successful over time. And there's a story in there uh, about what they, I call them the marshmallow grabbers. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, no. but so they did this research study on kids uh, and I can't remember their ages, but think of like a three or four year old kid and they put all these kids in a room and they walk in and they give each kid one marshmallow and they say, we're going to leave and we're going to come back in 10 minutes. And if you didn't eat that marshmallow, we'll give you two. And we'll just keep playing this game and see how long you can delay gratification, knowing mm-hmm. that you get more and more. And of course, you know, they videotape these kids and there's this little three-year-old just, you know, ripping his hair out, wants to eat the marshmallow so bad. But what they did is they followed them. This research study was done a long, long time ago. And now those people are 60, 70, 80 years old. And they followed them throughout their entire life. And what they found was that the kids that could postpone that gratification had better marriages, better lives, wow. more successful, better jobs. And it went all the way down to the happiness quotients. You know, are you happier? Yes. Wow. And the reason I tell you that is let's look at the market today and let's think of the interest rate example that we just said. You know, we want people to focus on the future. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to focus on what can you put in my hand this second. If you think about it from a career perspective, going to college, if that does not work, going to college is a fool's game, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to go spend a hundred thousand bucks to go learn something that's going to pay me no more money and why do it? Yeah. So there better be some sort of end game there. We want people pushing towards the future of innovation and, and improvement. And to that end, if you invested, I just saw this this uh, this graph the other day. It's not a new graph by any means, but if you had invested ten thousand dollars in nineteen seventy, which obviously is more than ten thousand dollars today, I get that. But today, if you just put that in the S and P five hundred, you would have over two point two million dollars. Ooh. Which you'd go, wow, that's amazing. What kind right? of return is that? It's uh, 10.88. Right? A year. A year. Average annual. Yeah. That includes dividends and reinvestment. So you would go, well, I'll just do that. That makes sense. I'm just going to do that. Uh, <laughs> the second I graduate from college, uh, I'll be 22. Or when I graduate high school, I'll be 18. I'll put away some money and then I'll leave it alone for the next 50 years and I should be just fine, right? Because then I'm 70. It's good. Let's think about all the things you had to, you had to tussle with. 
amongst the and what this chart says shows is all the terrible things that were happening in the United States and the world leading up to that from 1970 to 2022. And I assure you, if you looked at every single year along the way, there was something catastrophic that was happening every single year that would lead you to believe that I should take all my money, hide it in gold under my mattress, Mm -hmm. buy a bunch of guns, because this is going to be the year that it's all going to collapse. Now, I'm not suggesting if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't have 50 years, all right? right? I'm 65 years old. Sure. I need this money to last. So, you know, the market pulling back by 50 points and you telling 50% and you telling me that it'll all be fine in 25 years doesn't really apply to me. Are there ways to minimize that volatility? Of course. Are there better strategies than that? Of course. Do you have to be concerned with certain things? Of course. But I think that the, the, the challenge that I see with people today, particularly young people, is maybe it's the Instagram generation. I don't mm-hmm. know. I want to be rich by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Warren so Buffett true. has made 80% of his net worth after the age of 50. 80% of his net worth after the age of 50. It's, wow. That's an old stat, by the way. It's probably wow. a heck of a lot higher yeah. percentage today. So the takeaway here is you're not going to make a bazillion dollars unless, you know, flash in the pan, people do yep. it. Yep. yep. But typically, you're going to have to take a long-term approach. That does not mean you shouldn't invest in these short-term treasuries that I'm talking about, but it should be a part of a longer-term plan that accomplishes your objectives, doesn't just increase your balance sheet for bragging rights for tomorrow. Reach out to the Aptus team, set up your consultation so you can get started on a solid road to financial independence. You can make your appointment for that no-obligation consultation by calling 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Their offices are located in Lewis Center. That is right off Route 750. It's not far from 270 and 23. But if you're out of the area, they do service a lot of their clients remotely, so that should not be an impediment to you becoming an Aptus client. So back to your marshmallow example and the people who were the young kids who were able to resist eating the marshmallow in the moment were the ones who later on were more disciplined and happier. Are you at Aptus dealing with only the people who could wait on eating the marshmallow or how do you convince people who come into you and might have been inclined to grab the marshmallow right away, how do you get them to be purposeful investors who uh, buy into the Aptus Retirement Blueprint? Well, there, there's two things. I'll tell you how we do that. But first, I'll tell you if you really want to, as somebody who has kids about the same age as mine, yeah. if you really want them to love you, just keep on telling them, don't be a marshmallow grabber and tell them the story. <laughs> they really enjoy that. I know my kids are, are real big fans of that conversation uh, when they want to buy something they like. I certainly don't always encounter everybody who wasn't the marshmallow grabber. But I think, you know, what you have to overcome is all of the sheer minutia, the sheer volume of information that's just dumped on everybody and then cut through to some sort of logical pattern. Because I think we just have, you know, we have information overload on a daily basis. So I'll give an example. Today, I just Googled before the show, I Googled retirement planning. Here is the things that come out that come out from <laughs> retirement planning. These are the top 10, okay? What is the 25% retirement rule? The seven crucial mistakes of retirement planning, the best way to prepare for retirement. Can you live off of $3,000 a month in retirement? How long will $500,000 a month last? The 80-20 rule, followed by the 90-10 rule, <laughs> followed by the golden rule, and I can keep going, but yeah. the takeaway here is, I think that what happens with people is they go, I want to be a long-term investor, but it seems like it's changing so often. There's so many damn rules. I'm just going to try and make money today. 
And you'd be shocked how many people that are even not marshmallow grabbers that have millions of dollars that come in and go, you know what, at this point, I'm just going to put it in a savings account because I can't make heads or tails of any of this. And it's because we don't, it's not a lack of information like it was before. It's an overpopulation of information. So what's funny about that is the next one in the line is the 4% rule. So let me explain to you the difference between the 25% rule and the 4% rule. So the 4% rule is however much money you have, only live on 4% of it. The 25% rule is you need 25 times the amount of money that you have, which is ironically the 4% rule, right? So you can go through all these, and I'm sure the 90-10 and the 80-20, I don't even know what those are. I'm sure there's similar things, right? So, you know, I think my job predominantly is, whether you're a marshmallow grabber or not, is let's try and create a clear path to success that makes logical sense that you can wrap your arms around. And at that point, you know, I mean, you know, good leaders can get people to go into battle. Good leaders can get you to follow a plan. Yeah, I think you and I should start the 70-30 plan and put I it out there. Should. Maybe we could get it on Google. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I do know, though, that uh, when my wife and I met with Josh and the Aptus team, it made total sense to us to have the peace of mind of having a fiduciary, somebody who's legally obligated to do what's best for you in your retirement savings on the case for us. That's why we're Aptus clients. I'd highly recommend it to you. Reach out to their office for the free consultation, 614-917-1040 or Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. We appreciate your time, and we hope that you'll tell your friends about the show. It will replay on Saturday at noon. It airs originally Friday night at 7. And Josh joins me every Monday on 98.9 The Answer for Money Monday, where we talk about current conditions in the market and concepts that help you ingrain solid ideas and build toward financial independence. That's what they are about at Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, and they offer you a free no-obligation consultation. Set that up via the phone, 614-917-1040, to make your appointment for the consultation, or you can make your appointment online, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. One of the things that we watch a lot, Josh, as it concerns people's retirement, of course, is the S&P 500, which is a kind of a rating of all the stocks and there's also other different stock indexes and there's the nasdaq which i think is more tech stocks or more smaller cap stocks am i right on that correct and am i one i'm wondering like there's an s&p 500 which gives you an overall kind of picture of the market are there index funds or ratings for other stock things like say for instance the nasdaq not only are there indexes for the nasdaq Uh, There's seemingly an unlimited amount of indexes that you can invest in both on a mutual fund side and on an ETF side. And I'll give you kind of a range of how deep that goes. So you have the S&P 500, you have the S&P 400, you have the Dow. Mm -hmm. Then you have another one. I'll give you an example. There's one called the Dogs of the Dow. And what the Dogs of the Dow is, is the stocks that had the worst performance in the Dow the year before. And the theory is, if you're going to buy low and sell high, let's Mm. just keep on buying all the losers. Okay. There's another one called the Dividend Aristocrats, which is the uh, stocks within the S&P 500 that have consistently raised their dividend rate for the last 25 years. I believe that that index currently has 63 stocks in it. So it's the S&P 500, but only the stocks in the S&P 500 that have raised their dividends by uh, consistently for 25 years. For 25 years in a row? In a row. 63 companies. Wow. So then you look at some other ones. You know, you'll have the FANG ETF, which is Facebook, Amazon, Apple, okay. Netflix, Google, right? 
So you're buying an ETF, a, a quote unquote stock, but it really, it's an amalgam of five other companies that you can buy into in one. And, you know, what are the advantages and disadvantages of doing that? Well, one of the advantages is if you want to get a large, broad brushstroke of a lot of stocks with a limited amount of money, you can do it by buying an ETF. Mm -hmm. So an ETF might trade for 20 bucks. So you can buy one share of the ETF for 20 bucks. Inside of that 20 bucks, you're really buying a fractional ownership of 500 companies that might have an average purchase price of $200 a share. Right. There's no way you could go buy those 500 companies. So the advantage of buying these indexes is that there's some efficiency there and some diversification. The other advantage, though, and one that we like in our office, uh, I would say maybe even more importantly, is if you use an ETF, it enables you to buy and sell it like a stock so you can get in and out of it quickly with all the diversification stuff we just talked about. But on top of that, how the capital gains, the taxes are distributed. Mm -hmm. If I owned 500 companies and they were all paying, you know, uh, capital and I was in a mutual fund and they're buying and selling them along the way. Well, that those capital gains get passed through to me. If you own an ETF, the only time you pay a capital gain on the ETF is if you sell the ETF. So what happens inside of the ETF is somewhat irrelevant to you from a tax perspective. So if you're thinking of, Accounts that aren't in qualified plans. They're not an IRA. It's not a 401k. It's not a TSP or a 403b or all the alphabet soup. Mm -hmm. And you want to invest tax efficiently. Buying these indexes or via ETFs can be a very tax efficient way to get diversification and tax favorability. You shared with me uh, at one point in one of our conversations uh, what somebody would have in their bank balance now if they had invested $10,000 in the S&P 500 in like 1970. And it was an astronomical amount of money. It was over $2 million. So my question is, if you're a young person right now uh, and you can get your hands on, let's say $5,000, would you be smart when you graduate from high school or when you graduate from college maybe, or even two years after you graduate from college, if you can save $5,000, would it still be smart to put it in the S&P 500? Would it be smarter to put it in a different kind of a stock index fund, like, say, you know, one that includes some of the tech companies that uh, are kind of ruling the world right now? Uh, the answer is both. So let me explain. Uh, rewind the clock back to, you know, 100, let's say 50 years ago. Okay maybe even 60, 70 years ago, the predominant way of investing 60 or 70 years ago was I have a pension, I have social security, and maybe I buy a few stocks. I really like General Electric, so I'll go buy some GE stock. And then fast forward and people said, well, that's a lot of liability because if I buy GE stock and GE goes out of business, well, then I lost all my money. Think Enron. So people started coming up with mutual funds. And then those mutual funds uh, were able to diversify that risk amongst a lot of companies. But what it didn't really take into account as most of the early mutual funds were individual investors saying, we're going to pick the best stocks, pretty much irrespective of where those stocks landed on the uh, the lineup of large company, small company, mid-sized company, international company. Nobody really paid attention to that. They just said, I'm going to buy good stocks. Well, then fast forward, people start doing indexes and all sorts of stuff. But the real change, the the paradoxical change of investing was, what is the secret sauce amongst diversity is it just having a bunch of stocks so that if one goes out of business i don't lose my money or is there some sort of theory 
where we could invest a certain percentage in large company stocks, a certain percentage of small company stocks, a certain percentage international. And would that spread out our risk even more without reducing our return? And the gentleman who came up with that and won the Nobel Prize the year that he did was a guy named Markowitz. And the Markowitz strategy was there is logic in risk reduction by diversifying amongst different asset classes on top of picking individual stocks. So to answer your question, a very long-winded answer for yeah. a short answer for a very short answer. I think that somebody who's young, 22 years old, should have the lion's share, if not 100% of their money in stocks. On top of that, I think they should have diversity amongst not just companies that are small tech companies like the NASDAQ, but also large companies, but not just large companies in general. They should have value companies, growth companies. They should have some international exposure, et cetera. And the benefit to what we we're just talking about with indexes and ETFs, et cetera, is you can do that with such a small amount of money. Hmm. So if you're thinking that you need to start with, I need to put in 10 grand and then I need to save a thousand bucks a month. I assure you, you are a hundred percent wrong. Start with 25 bucks a month. Start with 50 bucks a month. If you can afford to skip a pizza once a month, (laughs) you can start investing. And how much does that move the needle? I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but there was a recent research study that I read from the uh, Pew Trust, which is a big research company. Mm -hmm. And there is a gap in retirement income between Social Security and what people need to retire on that will, by 2040, hit $1.3 trillion. So the amount of money you need uh, collectively, United States of America, retirees, uh, by 2040, they'll be short from what they need by how much? $1.3 trillion. Ooh. So what that means is, if you look at the average person, again, remember 40% of Americans re- uh, that are retired approximately 40% rely on social security for more than 90% of their income. Wow. So if we know that, then we have a shortfall there because as inflation creeps up and social security may or may not keep up, there's going to create a gap of how much we need not to go on the trip to Europe, but to exist in life. Mm. And that gap is estimated to be 1.3 trillion collectively amongst the whole crew. So you would say, oh man, we're all doomed. What would we need to do to solve that problem? If every person for the last 30 years before their retirement, so let's think about that. If you retire at 65, by the time you're 20, uh, by the time you're 35, we're not talking about starting in your 20s. By the time you're 35, if collectively everybody would save $140 a month, not 1000 not 900 140 bucks a month, it solves the problem. Wow. That's, so it does not take much. That's $35 a week. I mean, that's not, that's doable for, I think that's doable for almost everybody. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you, Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. It's interesting, is it not empowering to have that kind of information because it can seem like a very high mountain, a very daunting task. It really isn't. And that's one of the purposes of sitting down with Josh and the Aptus team for your free consultation is that what you might think is undoable for you is very doable for you. You might not be really operating from a position of knowledge. You might be operating from a position of fear, and that's always dangerous. So I would encourage you to do what my wife and I have done, sit with the Aptus team. We became clients. You may not, but at least you'll have that knowledge, that power. In our case, that peace of mind. Set up your appointment for the consultation, 614-917-1040 is their office number. Their web address is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. I'm curious. How many times do you, or how, how often do you meet with people who are in their 20s? And I'm going to make a guess that when you meet with people who are in their 20s, 
They are the children or grandchildren of clients you already have. Yeah, I would say how often do I meet? Maybe one out of every 50 appointments is with somebody under the age of 40. Okay. Um, And then I would say that the lion's share of those, you know, I'm 45, so obviously I have people in my peer group Mm -hmm. uh, that are in their 40s. However, uh, the lion's share of the people who are under that are going to be, you know, family, friends, Mm -hmm. kids, et cetera. Now, what they find, um, and I had one of them this week, unfortunate scenario where a parent died, um, daughter who's 19, is inheriting a pretty significant sum of money. My role changes a little bit. You know, with her, uh, the main concern is not that you can't spend any of this money, but how do you stay in your lane so that you don't run out of money? Mm -hmm. And then the conversation becomes an education lesson on investing, which is always part of the puzzle, but showing the magnitude of making an error. And for her, it was, let's assume we have a half million dollars today at 19. Fast forward, it's very conceivable, but by the time you're 60, that $500,000 will quintuple. So we're talking about 500 going to a million, two million, four million, eight million, sixteen million dollars. Mm-hmm. So if you say, well, I'm just going to spend 50 grand of it. That 50 grand is 100 grand, <laughs> 200 grand, 400 grand, yep. you know. And you're spending millions in future purchasing power. So I love having those conversations. I love having the conversations about why don't I put it all in Bitcoin. I love having the conversations about why don't I put it all in meme stocks or whatever the flavor of the month is for that particular age category because they're very influenced by social media as we all are. Yep. Um, I love having the conversation about, well, why will I even need you in the future because, you know, AI will just replace everybody. Right. Well, (laughs) You know, that's a pretty easy argument. Well, if AI is going to replace everybody, then why do you even need to be talking about money? Because we're all going to be in bubbles like the Matrix. Um, <laughs> but I love having those conversations. Uh, and I love having the conversation about how the the snowball really works. Because the most powerful factor in the world, shy of maybe gravity, is compounding. Yeah, compound interest for sure. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Tell your friends, listen to the replay on Saturday at noon. Join us for Money Monday on The Answer, 12.30 p.m. every Monday with Josh and myself, 98.9 The Answer, online, 989theanswer.com. Okay, what about AI? I mean, it strikes me that there have been computer programs to pick stocks, to pick this, that, the other. I remember a 60 Minutes segment years ago that talked about some way to get a trade to market in milliseconds before somebody else. And they were making micro sense on everyone, but man, you know, over time it was worth super lucrative. What is the best guess? Because I think we're all guessing when it comes to AI chat GPT, could you go to chat GPT and go, Hey, what stock should I buy? And if you got, I'm sure you'd get an answer, but would it be an answer that (laughs) might break you or one that might prove to be pretty savvy? Yeah, you know, it's remarkable if you rewind the clock back maybe even just 50 or 60 years ago, where you lived had a huge impact on your ability to invest, which is why everybody went to Wall Street Mm -hmm. because you were, you know, you had to run up with the ticket to exchange the stock. You had to know a stockbroker who went, you know, like the old uh, bank tubes were in buildings where Mm -hmm. you'd put in the stock trade and go down to the bottom floor. Now, fast forward to today. And you could be in Omaha, Nebraska, and have the same level of ability of trading as somebody in Wall Street. Well, now keep going, and you know we had what we used to call in the industry 
robo-investors, which was really just computer algorithms. I don't know why we called them robo-investors. Like Sounded they were, better. Like they were robots yeah. running around doing trades. Yeah. But those who were reliant upon, and incredibly helpful, relying upon the data that went into them, then the algorithm that was designed for that data to spit out information quicker than you and I could by doing math. No different than every computer program on the planet. And that was a, a very beneficial resource because it could, like I said, create that kind of generation of data and information. There were many people who decided to use that as just the end-all, be-all, meaning we're going to build this robo-advisor, this robo-trader, and it's going to do better than any human can, and it's just going to start trading based upon our algorithm, which we designed based upon historical performance. Mm -hmm. But, you know, history doesn't repeat itself exactly. So, in general, robo-advisors did not exceed people doing the trading. So then we went to this almost like a robo-advisor to the advisor, which was, let's generate a bunch of information so you don't have to read a bunch of books and a bunch of papers. We can do all of this data, you know, aggregation that you can then make your decisions off of. Now, AI is a whole different animal. Sure. Because what does AI do? Well, it well, learns like 80 languages in 10 six se seconds. Ten seconds. Yeah. 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 So now fast forward to today, and you have not only an algorithm that you build, but an algorithm that will learn on its own. Yes. Now, that is very interesting and could be a very powerful thing, or we could be talking about, you know, the Terminator yeah. and, you know, an AI kind of gets a mind of its own. My opinion, which, again, we'll see where this goes. I'm just guessing. My opinion is you will see AI become more and more involved in not just uh, the transaction of business, not just the, uh, the stock picking, not just the money management, but also in financial planning. Um, AI will have an unbelievable ability in a short amount of time, I believe, as it's had an ability now to read, to write children's books and write all sorts of, you know, marketing mm -hmm. campaigns, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It will have an ability to you to generate a fine, a, a real financial plan that looks pretty darn good based upon the input that you provide it. That's far beyond any other financial plan that we've been able to see in that capacity up to this point. I mean, there's financial planning software Online, you go onto fidelity.com or something like that, you enter in 12 things, and it tells you this is what your scenario looks like. But that has always not been enough uh, data points, and it's not been a exchange of information to be able to manipulate those data points as they apply to you. Will ChatGPT be able to take the humanity from Bruce Hooley mm -hmm. and say, okay, I understand Bruce is this age, he has this amount of money, he's trying to accomplish his objectives, but I also understand how Bruce thinks and what his real risk tolerances are and how he's going to react in different scenarios, which is currently the role of the advisor. I have to make judgment calls on, I know Bruce said he just puts the blinders on and he's cool with being a super ultra aggressive investor. But if I look at all of his previous statements and I listen to him talk, that's not true. Mm -hmm. I know he's not really that. So I'm going to steer him into making the decision that makes the most sense for him. Will AI be able to do that? We're not there yet, but at the rate that it's going, when are we going to get there if we're going to get there? Well, here's I, I can never envision myself being comfortable enough with that technology uh, to turn it over to that technology rather than allow someone who I have a personal relationship with, somebody I trust, somebody that I've you know got uh, a lot of conversations with, to ha do it for me. But there are 
people, a lot of people out there, younger people than me, who think differently. They feel like their technology is no threat at all, and this, that, and the other. So have you been, um, I mean, you're always, you're planning, you're in the planning business. Uh, are you ever confronted with people who say, well, I don't even need you. I'll just do it, you know, this way. I'll just rely on technology, computer programs, or whatever. And if so, what's your response to people who might be thinking that way? Well, yes, I run into that all the time. Um, that's no new concept. For example, there's a, a, you know, a wave. Vanguard was built upon the concept that nobody needs a money manager. Just buy the index and you're going to beat the money manager 90% of the time or whatever percentage they use that particular day. Uh, so why would you go pay somebody to help you manage the money? And that's a fair argument. I don't know what the percentage is, but I do assure you that the vast majority of money managers do not beat the index. So they're not wrong. What the vast amount of money managers cannot typically do, or the ones that do beat the index cannot do, or what indexes cannot do, let me rephrase it that way, is indexes cannot provide tax planning. Mm -hmm. Indexes cannot help you determine how much money you actually need to retire. Indexes cannot talk you off the ledge when the market pulls back (laughs) 50%. Indexes cannot help you properly diversify for your risk tolerance by interpreting and listening to you. But if all of that just sounds like a lot of feels, a lot of, you know, well, that you're trying to sell me based upon my emotion, well, let's make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. So let's look at what has the performance been of the choices that you have picked over time. Real real numbers, not yep. backtesting, real numbers. What kind of risk mitigation strategies have you done? In other words, what does your roller coaster ride look like versus the index roller coaster ride? And have you started and stopped at the same point below the index or above? And if so, is there a logical reason why? And if all those things add up, whether you're 25 years old and you believe that, you know, uh, advisors are the old, old mill and now the new mill is the robo advisor or the AI, or whether or not you're 80 years old and you can't imagine not going into a brick and mortar bank and investing your money through a bank online, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter at that point. Either it makes sense or it doesn't. And fortunately for us, um, we've created an environment where it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I appreciated the fact that when Sherry and I came in, I mean, you gave us options in terms of here's a track that you can get on if you want to. Here's another track you can get on. Uh, I was unaware that you could uh, enter into investments that would give you a portion of the market's gains, but you could mitigate some of the losses in the market. You could limit some of the mos- losses in the market. Not only by, you know, what you choose to invest in, but you can invest in things that will give you some of the upside, some of the downside, but not all the downside, not all the upside. So I'm and I know chat GPT or AI or whatever can give you all that. But I just felt, you know, as I've said many times here on the show, a lot of peace of mind in understanding things. I don't I'm not a person that reacts well to being confused or feeling like I don't understand. And I suppose that it's possible for people to read off a computer screen and process, but that's not how I learn. And I tend to think we're a long way from the day where that's where that's how everybody learns. Well, I think sometimes I, I always use this again. We used marshmallow grabber earlier. If you yeah. want to use another one with your kids, they really like this one. You remember the big bang theory? Yeah. So Sheldon Cooper taught himself how to swim with YouTube in his living room. That's a mean trick. Well, here's the thing. He was convinced he knew how to swim. Yeah. At some point, you got to jump in the water, yes, you do. right? Yes, you do. So here's the problem with a lot of these strategies. Is there of any value? And there is for me. I mean, I can look on YouTube and learn how to rebuild my engine. Mm-hmm. 
but I promise you I'm going to have extra parts and it's not going to run right because I've never <laughs> done it, right? So although I can get a pretty good handle and I can get a lot of information on looking at that YouTube tutorial, unless I have a really strong background in whatever it is I'm watching, the more complicated it gets, the more uptight I'm going to feel. Yeah. I'm going to need somebody to hold my hand well, a little bit. the more that's at stake, the more uptight you're going to be. I For mean, you sure. make a mistake on long-term financial planning, you make a mistake on investing. I mean, that's not like, oh, I, I looked at the wrong YouTube video. Like, you don't get to live your life over again and do your retirement planning over again. Well, let's just be honest about it. For me to say I haven't made mistakes as a financial advisor in the tw almost 25 years I've been doing it would be a lie. Now, fortunately, I think I've made just about all of them at this point. <laughs> I have a pretty good handle on what we're doing, which is why you want to work with somebody who's been doing this for a little while. Yep. But you also want to work with somebody, I've heard this a lot, while I'm sure somebody who's 65 has a lot of experience, but I kind of want them around managing my money for a period of time and not just calling it in. So I think, you know, you want to pick somebody in that sweet spot. But use the advantage of the fact that not only did I have the same YouTube videos that you had, but I have an educational background in it, and I've been doing it for eight plus hours a day for 25 years. Yeah. I think that's worth something. Um, and I think the combination of AI, the combination of what you can search on the internet, and the combination of all the research that the 25-year-old, the 30-year-old, or the 60-year-old does, where they think I'm not a value, is very helpful to us in our conversation. Absolutely right. And you can set up a free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team, 614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Josh, talk to you again soon. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 